Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's General Secretary and the host of this show. This week, I'm joined by Pumla Coleman. Pumla's a nurse, activist and member of the NSWNMA call group here at the association. Pumla grew up in South Africa under apartheid, becoming a nurse in 1972. As a nurse, Pumla saw the injustices faced by Black South Africans and witnessed unspeakable atrocities committed by the South African government as part of the apartheid regime. Her story is one of incredible bravery, fighting against systemic racism and risking her life to advocate for the health, welfare and rights of her community. Welcome to the show, Pumla. Thanks for having me, Shay. <laughs> Great to have you. Really appreciate you uh, coming on and chatting with us today. Um, can you start off by telling us a little bit about what it was like for you growing up in South Africa? You mean as a kid? As a kid, yeah. Um, for me as a kid, it was, um, I don't know if I can, I think I can use the word because of the context. Mm. Um, a more privileged background than my fellow South Africans. Mm -hmm. Basically because my mother was a registered nurse and mm -hmm. my dad was a social worker. And that's how a number of um, young Black South African kids who had parents who were professionals um, experienced less, uh, you know, brutality there. And... Um, I had, um, dad used to take me around with him all the time because he could do that. Um, and I also had a very strong communal support in in our community in Dube, which is Dube village. Mm -hmm. um, it seriously followed the concept that it takes a village to bring up a child. Mm. The... Uh, bad side of it is you couldn't do anything naughty because everyone would be on Watching. your face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the other side, you were very safe because, mm. the, yeah. And um, at the time, even the police did not really care about crime in the, the locations. Mm -hmm. But dad and all the other fathers around the area had what, people regard as neighborhood watch. Mm -hmm. So we had a whistle in every house. And if anyone tried to break in, you blew your whistle and everyone came to support mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. So I played outside. We made, you know, like played weddings, funerals. We were just very free. Mm -hmm. A bit risky too. I was telling the uh nurses the other day we had a railway line just across from my place and we would play chicken across the railway station which was dangerous but mm. children don't think that yes yes so overall I actually heard the word apartheid but it didn't affect me mm. because I had food on the table clothes to wear and everything although um, I think later on, my mother told me when, because um, I had an intense dislike for police and I didn't know why. And I just asked her, that was after dad was gone. And it so happened that dad was fighting against migratory labor system. 
as and it was getting homes for people from the rural areas yeah and in order to um stop him the police broke they could break in your house anytime and just do whatever and they um came in and they actually burnt his eyes with acid to make sure he can't see so i was oh, three goodness. years old and i think i bit an officer and um from what my mother told me i can't remember it uh. and he kind of kicked me and i just played dead you know because uh. um, and i think that imprinted in my mind uh. at, you know and um but dad continued to learn Braille, and he, he was also a Methodist minister. So mm -hmm. um, he used Braille to do further his job. So I was brought up in a, a Christian social justice environment. Mm -hmm. And mom also tells me when I was a baby, um, the South African government had the past laws, which every, if you an African, you had to carry this book after six o'clock in the city. They would arrest you if you didn't have it or send you back. The men had to carry it, but the women refused to carry it. So she had me on my on her back, and they marched to Pretoria and burnt the thing in there, and in in front of Parliament in nineteen six. Mm. Um, I was three, so the moral is there. And why I'm telling you is that I think it's true, your uh, early formation does sit with you for life. So as a child, I grew up in this home that was charged with, you know, working against injustice. Yeah. And also um, caring about your neighbor. Mm. And, um, you know, also the freedom to play with other children um, and the and mom and dad and the neighbors, we each ate in each other's house. Didn't matter where you landed, you had a meal there. So yeah. there was always big cooking done mm. at your home. Mm. And that surprised me when I came to Australia and my children's grandmother was counting potatoes in a pot. I went, what? <laughs> 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 you know so um yeah different way of living yeah. yeah yeah so that kind of thing and then after dad was eventually um poisoned by the police in and he was uh, six years old when he was he died goodness and then i um I was taken to my grandmother and my sister was taken to my mother's cousin because my mom was expecting another baby. So for her, and then an aunt came and stayed and that's how communal it was in those mm -hmm. days. And um, I'll just jump forward through that. The, the, the government decided that these people are too smart. We need to introduce Bantu education which is a lower education system. And mom wouldn't let me have that. So she got me into a boarding school, St. Agnes's. So I was nine years old when I went to boarding school. Initially didn't like it. Mm. And um, 
made a lifelong friend whom I was just talking to this morning. She's oh, also wow. a nurse. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> and uh, because we hated our mothers for being at boarding school. And mm -hmm. um, we, you know, finished boarding school and even went into nursing together. And we still talking till today. That's amazing. Yeah. And and tell me, you know, the type of upbringing that you've just described has clearly had an impact on the life that you live now. How did nursing kind of intersect a life of social justice and, you know, clearly you've lived a really values-driven life? And how does that really, um, I suppose, dictate your practice now as a nurse? It, if I mean, I feel... Um, not feel I work more for in the interest of the patient. I don't like the word client. I don't like the word consumer. I suppose mm -hmm. it, I question what are they consuming? What are they? <laughs> and uh, you know, and but my empathy goes more for them. If I make a decision, it has to serve that person's purpose more than the purpose of the establishment mm. and that hasn't worked well for me in many instances um mm -hmm. but at the same time I just feel if I go home and I know I've done the best I can for um the support of the person that I'm being paid to look after mm. I'm happy yeah, you can sleep at night. I can. Um, what an instance that comes to my mind. It's it's it was in Manly though. Um, I was called by ED at um, two a.m. They had somebody who um, had ice-induced psychosis. Um, I only had. Uh, I was in charge of night shift, and I only had um, a subacute bed. Mm -hmm. There was no acute bed. And they mm -hmm. said to me, wake up the patients and move them. I said, I'm not doing that. It's two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to. But, you know, we worried about the KPIs in ED. I said, that's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Neither is it any of these patients' problem. We've yeah. got to find another way. Seven o'clock, the doctors are coming. I'm, and eight o'clock, they can do an assessment and somebody can be moved then but not now yeah okay put him in subacute I said we don't know this person he's an unknown person and putting them in subacute what if he arcs up what do yeah. we do and you got it was in a dorm you know yeah yeah and um anyway I ultimately because I totally refused to do it um, I was called into the office by the then manager and really stripped down to uh. you um, supposed to have a master's in nursing, but you know, I said, it's got nothing to do with what happened last night. Uh. And secondly, I have to look, you, uh, you said, I, my job as a person in charge is to ensure there's no risk to patients, to staff and to the person who's coming in. All yeah. right. So that's what I did. Anyway, I was so upset I kind of stopped in Fairlight just 
to cry a bit before yeah. I got home. I was living in Crow's Nest. And I, when I got to Crow's Nest after a shower, one of the nurses, Gabby, called me. She said to me, Pumla, you made the right decision. They admitted that person at 8 o'clock. He's trashed the whole acute side. We are actually taking him to McHugh right now. Oh, goodness. Can you imagine if he had got in at that time of the night? Yeah. Hit nurses and those patients in the subacute, it would have been really bad. Yeah, definitely. And so we didn't cover Puma, but what area of nursing? What's your specialty? Mental health. Mental health. So talk to me a bit about what drew you to mental health. Is that where Joy is as well? Who's that? Joy, Joyce? your friend? Oh, Joyce. Well, Joyce is in South Africa at the moment. Okay, I, right. I speak to her from South Africa. No, she was uh, an intensive care nurse. Not right. <laughs> she, and also aged care. So she, she went into another area. Another area. So talk to me about what drove you into mental health. What, what was that decision making and what led you there? I think part of me... Um, it maybe takes me back when I was younger. One of my cousins' husband died uh, from train ridings. They used to, you know, some trains people would do stuff riding on the train, and mm -hmm. he died. And then she had bipolar, mm. and the the she stayed with mum because mum was a registered nurse. So mm. they, and mum used to, you know, say to us when she went to work. Um, give her her tablets, give her her food, and we did all that. But when I looked at um, people, I felt the mind controls almost everything. Illness is like psychosomatic. Mm -hmm. So when I was in training as a nurse, I used to be more interested in how people are feeling, thinking, and, you know, so... When I completed nursing, we were told to choose where we want to go. And my tutor said to me, we think you should go into education or administration. I said, no, I want to do mental health. So they didn't stop you. You know, you mm -hmm. just chose what. And I went to the hospital then called Sterkfontein. It's a mental health hospital. The manager there took us to see a patient having ECT. And those days, it was terrible. Mm. I went, nah. So I got, I said, no, I'm not doing this, mum. I'm not doing it. So mm. I just gave And up. so for listeners that don't know what ECT is, do you want to talk a bit about what it is and also what it was like in those days? Because I'm assuming there was no sedation and things like that. Is that what you were seeing? What I was seeing was somebody, it's an electroconvulsive therapy, um, which um, just roughly corrects the, the neurons in the brain so that especially people with depression, so that they, they, they wire properly. That's all I can. Mm -hmm. Resets a lot of the. Resets the nerves mm -hmm. and all that. But they, it, it induces um, um, a fit. Mm. So they convulsed in that and those days yes there wasn't because what I remember is they they would put a a, um, a pad mm. in the person's mouth and they would be clenching their teeth and 
convulsing really, really badly. Not like mm. these days, it's not any Yeah, these days it's entirely controlled and, you know, yeah. you're, you're sedated and people yeah. kind of have a little nap. They're a bit tired afterwards, aren't they? That's generally yeah. the, the things that patients talk about when they've been through ECT. Yep, yep. So I come back and I said, man, I'll go to, I'd rather go and do midwifery. I loved ED and midwifery was my next thing. So I went on to do midwifery. Um, even there, when I witnessed the first episiotomy, I thought, no, I'm not doing this. Oh. <laughs> and mom said, look, there is pain everywhere in nursing. You stay yeah. where you are. Yeah, you know? right. And she was a midwife too. So okay. I stayed. And I really enjoyed midwifery. Yeah. You know, um, I I mean, it was really busy. We used to deliver eight babies per midwife. Wow. You know, so I think I've got more than 4,000 babies under my belt over the years. Goodness. But um, it was really very rewarding. Mm. And then um, when I uh, came to Australia... I revisited my mental health um, arena. Yeah. Because I, I think uh, along the way, I still worked in that way because I would, you know, I did some um, skills building for women's groups that I mentioned and all that. And, but I seriously took it on then when I came here because I went on to do counseling and psychotherapy as um at Jensen Newman mm -hmm. and then I was um a nursing unit manager at Wesley Private um the mental health board yeah wow and yeah while I was in Coba though I I I did I was my ex-husband was a GP so I was doing the mental health side of mm -hmm. the so okay. That's because um, I I firmly believe that um, when I say psychosomatic, I, I'm I'm not saying it's in the mind. I'm saying the mind is the powerhouse of the whole body, mm. and um, it's there where we, you know, either um, if you a sound mind is a sound body. So maybe no I think that makes perfect sense you know and when we talk about kind of holistic um, therapy uh, and holistic care I think that fits in pretty well with that concept as well yeah. so you're pretty active in the nurses and midwives association um, in relation to our culturally and linguistic linguistically diverse group of members Talk to us a bit about, uh, obviously, how you came to be part of that group and what motivates you and what, what work you want to see come out of that group, what you're all doing. How I came about to join the group, once you know when you surf the net and you check for things, you know, you and I, and I saw this, um, I know Maddie asked me how it started, but I can't remember how the group started. I think <laughs> Helen might have told me. But... Um, I saw this um, group, um, you know, culturally and linguistically diverse nurses, and I thought 
this group would be, I would be interested in being in this group, you know, because of my own experience in, um, I started in 2011 um, in, to work for New South Wales Health. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a lot of microaggression with regards to, um, you know, racially charged. And I think, I, I don't think I'm imagining this, but it was so charming. I, I just, anyway, um, needless to say, way back, even when I was in Koba, I was dealing with racism. Mm. And I... When I started working at Manly, fortunately for me, I um, I say fortunately and I say unfortunately, I was going through a, a, a divorce situation and I thought, no, I need to get myself a, a therapist, Robin North Saman. And I got a really good woman who was conscious of, you know, uh, racial trauma and trauma. So she was trauma informed. Mm. And we were required by Jensen Newman to get a therapist so that you know what it is like to be in therapy. Mm -hmm. So things just align for me in that way. Mm -hmm. So when I was uh, in um, in Manly, I, I got the position, the full-time position, because there was a very good manager, Sarah Sweeney, and she was really very patient-centered. Um, and I liked that because I, I worked as a casual in various areas just to see where I would stay. Mm -hmm. And I liked that because she was very um, patient centered and she cared about the nurses. But you had to do your job. Yeah. The Pally Welly thing. And um, she mentioned to the staff that um, Agnes who was the um, the director of nursing then. Um, you know, she's not easily impressed, but Agnes was very impressed with Pumla's um, uh, interview. In my view, it sparked off a lot of jealousy among oh. other nurses, you yeah. know. And, um, they really started gunning at me. Um, and I was like, I, I don't get it. You know, why would anyone be so nasty? Yeah. yeah, and the major thing they kept throwing at me was, oh, um, one of them said to me, oh, you're from South Africa, the country is full of AIDS, you know, what is it like? I said, I don't have it, so I don't know, mm -hmm. you know, but, but I would come home just feeling yuck, you know, because I just, and um, one of the managers, I can't name her because I don't have a trail of the thing. I made just one error and she barred me from doing medication for three months. Oh, my goodness. And I knew it was just a, 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 a put down, you know. Mm. And the funny thing is, indirectly, she also gave me, got people, almost say made a martyr out of me, actually, because... I got so many friends around me after mm -hmm. that. I wasn't, and because it was so I, unjust. It was so unjust, but at the same time, Shay, I think because I was having, I could talk to Robin, mm. and, and she was a counselor, and she gave me the skills and how to deal with 
she could see through she said you're dealing with a narcissistic manager mm. and it doesn't help to you know how to go at somebody with who's unjust just don't even give her oxygen yeah just keep doing what you do ignore what she's doing if you when you can we'll talk about it here but don't talk to anyone in the place to say what you you know because yeah. then they go back and tell her it becomes a vicious yeah. circle and for me fortunately having that backup was very helpful mm. and um one time she called me to her office she said you know all the nurses like you now what the, what did you do i said no i'm just being me mm. i haven't done anything they would say they had a function they would make sure they don't invite me or she'd mm. make sure that i'm working if there was any function in the ward and one of the psychiatrists dr lad um you know, said to her, you know, she's a very good mental health nurse. He said, oh, no, she doesn't know much about mental health. And then one day she called me to her office. She said, well, you, you don't know anything about first world medicine, do you, Pumla? I said, what do you mean by first world medicine? Oh, well, being from South Africa, you wouldn't. I said, well, if you were aware of international health medical, you know, the first heart transplant was done in South Africa. And I just wanted to be cheeky. I said, well, I suppose they use guys and cow dung to put that heart together. And I left the <laughs> office and she still didn't pick up, you know. Oh, how offensive. That's you know, so, really sad. Yeah. So over time, Shay, I was like, man, but it really liberated me even more joining the cult group. Yeah. Because when at even the first meeting, I felt like a load was taken off my shoulders because I heard of various other people talking about the same thing. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I thought, no, I, I'm not crazy. No. This, this is happening everywhere. You know, and people even leaving i was i wanted to leave manly though i like tried other jobs but mm. it never worked mm. because this person was also friends with people at north shore she's still at north shore right now so mm -hmm. by the time you go for an interview at north shore she's spoken to mm. and, and i felt you know when you come in the room and you can feel the tension mm. And I know I interviewed so poorly because I'm of the anxiety about it. Yeah. I'm the yeah. kind of person who can feel somebody. <laughs> mm, for sure. You know, so it, I think that's really interesting though, because um, it's terrible to hear your experience, but as you said, it's not unique. So being around other people that have experienced similar types of sometimes microaggression, sometimes just outright aggression, um you know it's interesting to hear that that lifted a weight off your shoulders and yeah absolutely and we know that you know we work in a health system that's so big and there are absolutely uh incidences of racism that play out in some people's working life sometimes daily and and also having helen as a leader mm. she i found she validated 
what um people were saying mm. but she wasn't condescending you know you see some people oh i'm so sorry you're going through that and you look at their face and you think no you're not mm. <laughs> and at the and same time she was encouraging to empower yourself yeah you didn't take over the the narrative yeah and that for me i felt no i'm staying here and i want to work with um with this group yeah and i would like to um also help younger people who did not have my experience i can only explain it this way you i also borrowed it from somebody um if you've been like a race car driver and you know how to tumble and toss and turn when you're in an accident it's not as traumatic mm -hmm. as somebody who's just gone into it for the first time mm. and i feel i could be part of a group that helps younger nurses who are not whom for whom this would be just a new experience yes you know they just come from you know uh for instance i'm just taking nepal for one because mm. mainly nepalese people they they don't and then suddenly they hit with racism here yeah they blame themselves they think there's something i went through that phase myself but i pulled out of it because i've had previous experience of yeah of even i mean i'm i'm from top class racism i mean you can't yeah. south africa yeah and, but at the same time, I feel um, the group is already starting to empower quite a number of people. And I feel it it's going to continue that level of empowering nurses to be um, assertive in the field of racism. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as an outsider looking into the work that the group's doing, I think it's been incredibly impressive because you've all really set your own agenda about what it is that you think needs to happen. Uh, and for example, one of the most recent things that your branch have put forward is the idea about having a called identified representative in each workplace branch. So people have got someone who they can look to that looks like them, that talks like them, that also is part of their branch leadership, which I think is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that initiative was met with uh, overwhelming support from the rest of the um, nurses and midwives uh, delegates across the state. So I think that's just so remarkable. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's been a, a, a really in interesting initiative from your group. And um, tell us, what else have you been working on? Oh, you mean the group? The group, yeah. Yeah, I, I feel also the group, you know, um, I went with one of the group members, Tess, um, that's like conscientizing people with um, uh, the whole issue of race. Not that they're unconscious, mm -hmm. but bringing it to the fore yeah. so that they feel free to talk about it. When we put um, posters up, people were just stopping us all the way talking. And one of the Chinese nurses who stayed in my mind, she said, you know, I'm experiencing things, but I come from China where I'm not allowed to talk. 
and it it's it it helps me to know that I can express myself without any repercussions. Mm. When that when she means any, but without and and we don't talk not because we, but we have been conditioned not mm. to express. So th then we've been uh, going around and um, putting up the posters and putting up um, also we we're going into educating people about what they can do when they face with racial bullying in the mm -hmm. workplace mm -hmm. but also to differentiate between what is racist and what is just pure bullying yeah you know that sometimes people are, are, are just bullies so you don't just shove everything under the racial umbrella because yeah. it's, it, it narrows your scope mm -hmm. you know to so yeah and um the other thing i think we're doing is um we're going to see tina turner oh <laughs> <laughs> i didn't realize it was a social group too that's very exciting <laughs> well good on you so uh, go ahead no no there's like you know we used to say you know in there's task and there's maintenance mm -hmm. the maintenance is a socializing part so it's kind yeah. of yeah yeah and so. I think you know really kind of embedding those relationships between you all so it's very important so I'm very excited to hear you're going to see Tina Turner that's fantastic <laughs> well Pamela thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today uh you've got a fascinating story um we've really just covered the surface of it but uh I think there's some pretty interesting things in there that will appeal to people from so many different areas. So thank you for sharing with us today um, and for taking the time to talk with me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me, Shay. No, it's been fabulous. Yeah, thank you. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's continuing professional education program. Did you know the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association has a new online CPD portal? With over 200 free online CPD courses across a wide range of nursing and midwifery topics, plus the ability to track your learning, it's definitely worth checking out. If you're a New South Wales NMA member, just log in to the member portal, Member Central, to access this program. And if you're not yet a member, make sure you join today. That's it for this episode of The Shift. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pumla and look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an interesting story you'd like to share with us, let us know by emailing us on the shift podcast at nswnma.asn.au. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that this land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.